row taken, and I want to check and see if we're the right direction because we weren't a minute ago. Um, suspense. Oh, the suspense. We are. Yay! Okay, so shout out to our crew, uh, Jim Beaver. Shout out to our crew, Jim Beaver, who's was working the camera for us. Oh my God, this gorilla filming is is like just you want a pretzel <laughs> i'm telling you louise this is crazy that this is happening so i'm sorry that if you were looking for us and it's 702 and you, anyway i'm vicky abelson i'm gonna calm the fuck down now this is louise palanker my wing woman wing woman is a little better than wing girl I don't know. Anyway, I have a few things I want to talk to you about uh, before we start tonight. Um, one of our sponsors is birthday boy, Rick Smolke. That's right. I wished him a happy birthday on the Book of Face. On the, on the Book of Face. And happy birthday, Rick. I love you. I adore him. He, he makes my bookmarks. He makes my, my business cards. He makes my pads. He makes uh, my tissue boxes. He, uh, he did the galley for my book. Don't jump. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, and my fucking mother. Okay. Um, but anyway, Rick is a fabulous guy. His company's called Quick Impressions. They're in Chicago. They've made my calendars, uh, all kinds of stuff. Anything you need that's printed, they can do. He's doing t-shirts for Wendy Liebman right now. I mean, he does everything. He's fantastic. And if you mention the road taken, Rick gives everybody a great deal just because he's a really good guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then he'll ship it to you really fast wherever you are. But if you say the road taken, he's going to be extra good to you. And if you say that you're a friend of mine, he's going to be even better good to you. Um, so you go to quickimpressions.com to find it? Thank you. You go to quickimpressions.com or you go on the, the verbiage for this podcast, ah. this video broadcast, as I call it. And uh, the link to Rick and Quick Impressions is there. And also, I'm giving a shout out to Nicole Venables, who uh, does my hair, my tresses. She mm -hmm. tresses the many on the, the various screens of TV and movies. Right. And uh, she has a lovely shop called the Ruby Begonia Salon. You have to be kind of in LA for that or be willing to travel. And why not? Hop a plane to get your hair done. Why shouldn't you? They would do it on The Bachelor. <laughs> but also, I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine, and he's not a sponsor yet, and um, and uh, he shouldn't be because my friend Ricky Bird has a new CD out. He doesn't know I'm going to do this tonight. It's called Clean Getaway, and Ricky was um, in the Black Hearts, Joan Jett in the Black Hearts. He was inducted into the the. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, gave one of the best speeches ever at the Rock and Roll Hall. He's a total Borschtville comic, which is what he really yeah, wanted really to do. Funny, yeah. He's really funny. Um, but he also, this CD I listened to, I got it yesterday. I can't play CDs. I don't have a CD player in my computer, nor do I have one in my car anymore. So what happened? So what I had to do was I had to give it to my son, who's, uh -huh. Harry's got his computer, still has oh, got the thing. He, he had to put it, it on a... He had to put it on a thumb drive, then I had to do the thing. Mm -hmm. It was a whole process, but you know what? It was worth it. Because as soon as I got the money, the money? No. As soon as I got the, the, the file, songs. The file with the songs. I listened, I looped that thing all day yesterday. Mm -hmm. I, lo I love it. And he's got a single, a, a cover of the song Kicks. Remember Kicks? Mark he's, Lindsay. That's right. He's got a cover of Kicks on here that became the uh, coolest song of the week on Little Stevens Underground Garage oh, for the wow. first week of January, mm -hmm. and it's worthy. It's a great cover. But his uh, his own songs, um, I, um, I, I, I don't know what the... Anyway, they're all fantastic, but they're all about getting clean and sober, and what's amazing about that CD 
he got all monster players to play on it, but the best thing about it is that he's using it to help get kids clean. Ricky goes into rehabs and all kinds of programs, drug programs all over the place. He, he plays for them. He, he, I, I think he even does some instruction with kids. There's a bunch of them that go around and do uh, teach kids guitar and stuff. They do uh, uh, musician clinics. But Ricky also um, is handing out these CDs to all the kids in rehab to show mm -hmm. them that you can be clean and you can still rock and roll and you can still be really cool. And he's about as cool as they come. Yes. So, so um, and, and Ricky's been sober for, uh, I think when we very first met he wasn't, but he's been sober for 25 plus years. Yeah, and it's basically the reason he's alive. It's the reason he's alive, he'll be the first one to tell you that. It's also the reason I believe why great things keep happening to him, yes. right? And, um, and I, I'm a sober woman, and um, it, my book, everything has said, women who ride the road taken all uh, happened in sobriety. Mm -hmm. And I'm way more fun now than I was when I was high. <laughs> I didn't know you then. You didn't know me then. But I'm sure you were just I was kind of excruciating. <laughs> I was always kind of fun, but I'm way more fun now. <laughs> okay. But you know, Louise, what I wanted to—I want to make sure we, that we haven't like flipped orientations while we've been chatting. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so we're we're, we're we're still looking like it's we're okay. Two, it's two okay. great gray ladies. Wait, wait, it's two gray ladies. Yeah. So, so what I wanted to talk about just for a couple minutes before we bring Jim Beaver out here. By the way, um, if you don't know who my guest is, who our guest is tonight. Um, where have you been? Because I've posted it everywhere and made everybody else post it too. But our guest tonight is Jim Beaver, and we're going to talk about Jim in a minute. Um, one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, but Louise, I wanted to ask you what you think of Aziz. Oh, I have a lot. But Jim's on the show. So what does that mean? I don't have time to oh, tell no, no, no. you. I, I, no, I, I, want, I, want your, I want your two-minute version okay. of your big opinion. I think that... Young ladies need to say out I just, loud. I just want to point out to everybody. Ah, I just want to point out that Louise had a Kleenex. In, now I have I have been known to do Shout it. Shout out to Aunt Jerry. I've been known to do it. Louise had a Kleenex in her sleeve. I've done it before. It this was for blotting. Okay, but this is the sign that we are old, older than dirt. No, no, no. When you I do wanna, that shit, I want to see young people rocking that. First of all, it's a great look. Second of all, you may need to block. No. All right, so tell us about Aziz. I think young ladies need to say what they're thinking and not remain in situations that they're not comfortable. Okay, I have, I, have to, I have to interrupt you right now because I am, I am mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore that these situations get turned around and the focus gets put on the woman and what she's doing wrong. Wait before you speak. Uh -huh. I know that you think more than that, but I'm just saying there's been so much being published on the internet, all over, being said on TV, in the newspapers, everywhere, and the focus is on this girl. Now, I, I agree. We need to raise our voice in this situation, but I will just say she was 22 years yeah. old. He was a celebrity. I'm not shaming anybody. Right? I'm no. just saying, use your words. Say what you're thinking. Remove yourself. If you thought it was a date and it turned wait, away, wait, I don't, I don't, I don't, go I, home. No, I'm not letting you talk about her because my fo I asked you about Aziz and you and I give advice but, to young people. But wait a minute, Louise. I, I asked you about Aziz and you went to her. Right. I'm not letting you go there. Because I don't know. Because he, is he the, didn't write the article. He, I don't know what he, he has to didn't say. Write, no, but he made an apology and, and admitted. My, my feeling about this whole thing is that he is a man of privilege. Cer celebrities 
unlike the one we are having on tonight, but many celebrities do believe that they are above the law, that, they, that things don't apply to them. Now, he didn't break a law, but what he did do was he took advantage of his position. According to her. I don't know. Well, he already apologized, so I'm going to say that a lot of her accounting is going to be It correct. sounded like really douchey behavior. Really douchey. So here's my point. Mm -hmm. I have a daughter. Our guest, Jim, has a daughter. Mm -hmm. I've been there. I, I, I have been a victim. I've been a, I, have a, I have my Me Too stories. I had two occasions where men tried to date rape me, and they weren't famous. And uh, I was in physical jeopardy. I could not physically get out. But I do understand being taken by celebrity, being odd, being young, being stupid, wanting to, uh, oh, you have to read my book because I have a great story about me turning down somebody that I worshipped. Oh, yeah. yes. A, ten, a world yes. famous tennis player. That was really douchey. But, but it was really douchey, and I said no, but I could have said yes. And I didn't because... I didn't, but but it's not because I'm better than her. I just didn't. But well, she leaves. It just wasn't romantic. It wasn't a date. Okay, but it wasn't okay. But 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 he got he he got a, it went a lot further than it would have had he been anybody else other than. But you Louis. said it's happened to you with guys who weren't famous. I'm not blame. I'm not going to say uh, assigning the fact that he thinks he's entitled. To what happened? I think a lot of guys behave that way when they think they're in a hookup culture. Well, hook up well, it wasn't a hookup culture back then. Um, back but then. when did this long, happen? It happened oh, when you, back when there were ashtrays on the table, and you know it was a long time ago. Mine. But all right, I oh, just I'm I just sure. want to say that being famous is not carte blanche to do whatever the fuck you want. And that now people are getting accountable because I I do not believe that Al Franken was guilty. No, I do not think he did anything wrong. I no. think there's a real team difference. Al. So there's a real difference between what Al did and what Aziz has done to yeah. me. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I'm saying out there, yes, should she have left? Could she have left? Would that have been the better choice? Absolutely. But I'm saying that anybody like Aziz who gets the thought in their head that they are above doing the right thing because they are famous and they're going to get away with it. I hope that what I think this is, what this conversation is going to do, it might prevent that from happening. Let me add something because you know, I started out by lecturing the young yes. lady. I'm going to lecture the young men. When, when it starts to turn into something sexual, you need to say, is this okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Along the way. Because it can't just escalate because she hasn't said no. You have to check in with her. This would be good behavior. Yeah. And basically good behavior. And, and I think this conversation is, cause, is going to cause, hopefully, us to have better behavior because everybody's going to be afraid of getting caught. So I don't care what the motivation is for better behavior. I just am all for better behavior. And so um, we're going to bring out Jim in a minute. I, I just want to, I, do I really have to introduce, I, I guess I do. Um, I think of him as is everybody knowing who he is because he's been in everything. Mm -hmm. If you look at his IMDb, I am telling you, it just goes on and it's ridiculous. He started out in soap operas, he did, like Santa Barbara. He was on like all these crazy shows. He was on Third Rock. I mean, he's been on everything, but of recent years, for, the, for anybody out there who, who doesn't know why, um, Deadwood, Justified, Supernatural, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Dexter, he's been on everything, and he's been, you know, and but long-standing supernatural, justified, Deadwood, you know, huge 
amounts of time. But what I love about Jim is that, well, I like a lot of things about Jim, but one of the things I love about Jim is that he, he, is, a, um, he is a Renaissance man. He's also a playwright, Vetigris, which I saw. He, um, he uh, um, wrote a book. Um, um, oh, oh, God, wait, wait. Jim, what's Life's your what book? Life's right what happens? Like, you can say, Life's What Happens, right? No, what, what's it called? Life's That Way. Life's That Way, shit. Life's That Way. Um, and I've read it, and it's fantastic. And he came to, to the living room, and he made us all cry when he read from it. Um, Anyway, he, he's an actor on stage, he's an actor in film, on TV, and he's also writing a book about George Reeves, which we'll talk about too, which mm. he's been writing forever. But he's just an incredible human being. And he's also, ah, a father, um, a, a partner, um, who has our incredible- Our stage crew. Our stage crew. He has incredible respect for women. Yes. For um, the way he speaks of uh, uh, the, the Oh, he's a veteran. He's a veteran. He's a veteran. He is a good man. He, is, he would never do what Aziz did. Never in a million years. He's got a beautiful girlfriend named Sarah. They're having a beautiful love affair, which is so fun to watch. He's got a beautiful daughter named Maddie that he's raising and uh, doing a great job of it. So anyway, it's our pleasure and our thrill, I'm speaking for you, to welcome Jim Beaver. It's going to take a little while to get over because my couch kind of, he's, he's sitting on, we're, we're in my living room. Jim! Jim Beaver! Wow, acting like we're just saying hello for the first time. But anyway, thank you for being here, Jim. Thank you for being here when I got here. <laughs> so, you know, Jim was one of the very first guests on The Road Taken when we were, we were a podcast doing it at uh, Louise's Ridge Rock Studios. That was like a year and a half ago. And we had like a really nice, long, lengthy chat and we went sort of through your Road Taken. But, and, and, and a bunch of people listened to that, but this is a whole new day. Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk as if we haven't had that conversation because mm -hmm. there are a lot of people joining us who didn't hear it. And if you did, you've forgotten because it was a year and a half ago and you can't remember your own life. How are you gonna remember his? So, but I want to ask your opinion on Aziz and that whole thing. What do you think? Um, not terribly long ago, I at least temporarily reached overload on all these stories okay. coming out. And I have seen only an occasional headline mm -hmm. about that particular case. I know nothing okay. about it. Okay, as a father though, this whole idea of sexual assault, of... of I'm against it. Uh, oh, I'm so glad. I mean, do you worry about this stuff with you? Have you had a conversation with Maddie? Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, we've, uh, um, we, we've, she's kind of instinctively um, alert to certain Good. issues. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, uh, I, I know how it has been for me in the past in the uh, uh, in the midst of um, romance or sexual tension or uh, any of that. Yeah. How how difficult it is for reason to rule the roost. Ah, and um, and so. Uh, yeah, we've 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 talked about it. I'm, it's um, you know she's very comfortable with the idea of uh, making a lot of noise 
Yeah, that wasn't the first one. But, uh, oh, okay. Oh, oh. All right. No, when she was three, one night. I was three? To, That's too early, Jim. Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> when, when she was three, uh, I was trying to get her to go to sleep. She was just about to doze off, and I was thinking, I can get out of here. And, and uh, all of a sudden, she sat up and said, Dad, uh, who is God? Why did mommy have to die? Uh, where do babies come from? And why does Danny have a weenie? <laughs> that was all in one street. That was all in one. <laughs> and I just, I went. <laughs> and she's three. Yeah. And I said, of course, my first thought is, who's been talking to you about weenies? And, uh, <laughs> or talking or showing. Yeah, who's and, Danny? And, and Danny was her, her, her nanny's son. So, uh, about roughly a little bit, you know, little kids. Yeah. And uh, so I, I girded my loins and started. I said, okay, I'm going to start. I have to answer something here. So what'd you start with? I started with God because okay. I thought that was the easy one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, in a lot of cultures, there is a, and she was asleep. Uh, so I was saved. You were saved. <laughs> And you didn't have to have any of the rest of that conversation? No, not really. Really good. Not really good. Until when? Until how old did you have to like start having the conversation? Well, when she was nine, I think, we had the big one. Mm -hmm. And because she had a couple of questions and, um, and, and I realized that if I were going to answer honestly mm -hmm. and straightforwardly mm -hmm. that she needed more information than she had asked for. That the I couldn't answer her question straightforwardly without giving her some background. Gotcha. Some foundation. Gotcha. And so we talked or I talked for what seemed like a couple of hours. Did she stay awake for that oh, yeah, one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering. And she 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 sat there, she just sat there and listened and listened and and then um, I ran out of stuff to say and she said I said, Do you have any more questions? And she said, I I think that's about it. <laughs> and she was pretty good after that. Okay. You know? All right. And she was uh she seemed really grateful. 
That's which, really cool. And so now that all of this stuff has been happening, so mm -hmm. I know you're sick of it, but so did you have a conversation around this kind of thing? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. a little bit. I mean, it's been... She's very... I was going to say, she's mm -hmm. probably savvy now. She's 16. Well, she's very... Um, She's very tuned into the world now. She's mm -hmm. very political, mm -hmm. which is, I'm shocked and delighted. Um, and she pays a lot of attention to what's going on mm -hmm. in the world in terms of serious matters. Mm -hmm. uh, she doesn't seem to care, you know, who's, uh, what rock stars dating who. That's really uh, cool. Uh, Although this, this conversation is a pretty serious uh, matter. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty serious. She's, she's, uh, so this kind of, you know, she she doesn't tune in a lot to gossip mm -hmm. or or a lot of trivialities. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's she's more interested in serious things in the world than I would have expected her to be at this age. Wow! So nice. She's she's paying attention to the conversation. Okay. Well, that's that's about a good, that's yeah. a, that's as much as much as you can hope I've for. I've told her to only date guys who are dead. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> but even that comes with some problems. So, <laughs> all right. So, talking about guys that are dead. I don't know. We're going to do the opposite of talking about guys that are dead. We're going to talk about you were born. Okay. So, 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 give us, give us like the quick uh, backstory of uh, you grew up where, Jim? Um, well, I was born in Laramie, Wyoming, while my dad was um, going to grad school at the University of Wyoming. Mm -hmm. But my whole family background is in Texas, and that's you know I don't know if I knew that before mm -hmm. that your dad was so educated, which is really which mm -hmm. would make a lot of sense because you have so much. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he had a college degree and he took grad courses in accounting because that, that's that, that, that was what good. he that was mm -hmm. what he uh, that was what he made most of his living doing. Mm -hmm. He was also a minister, uh, oh. but <laughs> not a lot of money in that. So yeah. Um, uh, so he held down both jobs, and uh, when he finished grad school, we, uh, he got a job mm -hmm. in Fort Worth. We moved back to Texas. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't back for me, but it was back right. for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I grew up in, in first in Fort Worth, and then in um, Dallas, and uh, a suburb of Dallas called Irving. Something I didn't, I, I haven't asked you before, and I don't know the answer to. Um, you're very political. Mm -hmm. um, you're uh, on the right side, which is left. But um, growing up in Texas, mm -hmm. uh, were your parents progressive? Were they? Were they? Were mm -hmm. they? Uh, was my, my um, um, first of all? I have to say that I was I was fairly oblivious mm -hmm. to politics and. Uh, uh, all of that until long after I was an adult. Um, um, uh, Did you have an awakening? Did something awaken you? Well, Vietnam had something to do with it, mm -hmm. and uh, I, you know, I'm I'm a child of the '60s. I, 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 you know, Woodstock generation, all that. Me too. So it was, it was in the air, mm -hmm. and I, I tended. Let's say I tended left mainly because uh, the music and various artists that I admired were talking about what was going on in the world in their music. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, people like Phil Oaks were 
uh, and Bob Dylan were big influences, but you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and, and uh, mm -hmm. all of that mm -hmm. was... Uh, Dylan. Yeah, uh, absolutely, but I had no sophisticated ideas. Okay. I just knew, okay, there's the side that, in my rough estimation, is sort of inclined toward every man for himself. Ah. And there's the side that says we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And I just naturally fell into the we're all in this together side. Well, what, what, what were your parents, uh, how were you raised? My mom's basically apolitical. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Although she's very much, she was she was very much a woman's places in the home, and mm -hmm. and she didn't have big aspirations. Her her idea of her duty was to um, take care of the house and make sure that my dad got fed and the rest of us got fed. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, That's a fine aspiration. I'm just checking to make sure it's still the right way. My up. dad was conservative, uh -huh. but. Um, it was only after I left home that I realized that the, 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 the scale and breadth of conservatism, uh, that what my dad lived mm -hmm. was very different from what a lot of other conservatives lived. Uh, my dad was um, probably, and not that other conservatives are, but he was probably the most loving person mm. I've ever encountered. Nice. Uh, he was um, he was genuine and real and uh, deeply caring about everybody he met. He had, you know, he was born in the 20s, so he had certain notions that, that he grew up with from that I think might be conflicts for us now. Uh, uh, but uh, such as well, uh, you know, he was uh, um, uh, he, he had because he was a minister, as mm -hmm. I said, he was a mm -hmm. he was a minister in, in a fairly fundamentalist, mm. uh, um, um, whatever the word is, <laughs> ministry. Or, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, so. Uh, it, 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 matter, it matters as, as comparatively simple as divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, right. You know, there were strict rules right. about this. Abortion, and, uh, divorce, uh, all of this stuff. And divorce. I never, you know, considering that background, mm -hmm. I never really heard much talk about abortion mm -hmm. uh, in our house. Mm -hmm. When I got out of the service and went to college, my first year of, of college after the service, was at a uh, at a religious college, and you enlisted. You didn't get drafted. No, I didn't have a draft card till after I got out. So, and, and tell us, tell I. I've, we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Why did you enlist? Um, temporary insanity. I, <laughs> I, I was I was seventeen. My best friends were all a year older, and four of them had joined the Marines 
right after high school. Mm -hmm. I had another year to go. Mm -hmm. They spent a year writing me letters, me the runt of the group, mm -hmm. saying, whatever you do, don't join the Marines. You, you'll never be able to hack this. And so I'm like, oh, I'm joining the Marines. Hello. <laughs> and, um, uh, before you did that, when, when you were in school, what, what were your aspirations when you were a kid? Um, you know, there's this blank spot between you know, being 10 years old and wanting to be a jet pilot and a major league baseball player. Okay, that's good. <laughs> and my senior year of high school where I decided I wanted to be a writer. In between, uh -huh. I don't remember any particular aspirations. Did you act in school plays? Um, only in elementary school. Okay. I did a couple of little, you know, third grade. Did I ask you what you, do you remember what your first line in your first play? I don't remember my first line. I remember my first role, but I didn't have any lines oh, in that I, role. What was, what was your role? I was the court jester in Sleeping Beauty. I love that. And all I did was sleep. <laughs> Lights came up, I'm on the floor sleeping with my butt in the air. Because there was a picture of the court jester in the book, yeah, sleeping with his butt in the air, and then when the lights went down, I left stage, and that was the end of my debut. And and did did you did you love the floodlights even then? Did I thought it was cool. Yeah, but it wasn't anything I had any particular interest in or opportunity. I mean, yeah, I was at a certain elementary school when I did a play in the second grade and in the third grade and. Then I went to another school that didn't have activities like that. Wow. And uh, 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 junior high, which mm -hmm. didn't have any activities like that. Wow. And then, and by the time I got to high school, I, my head was elsewhere. I wasn't really Okay, where, where was your head when you were in high school? Just bobbing around with my friends, you know. Okay. You know. Party boy. Not, 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 not. Were you into sports? Time. Were you? I was into sports, but I was, uh, fundamentally incapable of any of them because uh, I ran the four-hour mile. Uh, I, um, uh, the only way I could catch a baseball is if someone threw it hard enough that it stuck in my teeth. So I, I absolutely wanted to do all that stuff. Yeah. I just was terrible, terrible. So, okay, so what? So obviously, writing you must have had some uh, praise, and what made you want to be a writer? Well, how did that start? I in in I don't know ninth grade. Yeah, I think in ninth grade, I wrote some short stories mm -hmm. about friends about me and my friends, mm -hmm. and and uh, it they were adventure stories. It was basically uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I'm Indiana Jones, and all my friends die, and I get the girl. And and I used everybody's real names, so every, everybody loved the stories because they were in them. Right. And uh, even if they died, it didn't matter. Yeah, they're yeah. famous now. Yeah. yeah. And the 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 high school had a little annual arts book where you know. Mm -hmm. uh, they invited submissions, and and so I wrote a couple of actually better short stories mm -hmm. uh, in high school that were published in those, and I thought this is kind of fun. 
But my senior year, I read the autobiography of the actor Sterling Hayden, mm -hmm. uh, which all these years later is still my favorite nonfiction book. Is that so? Yeah, it's called Wanderer. I've read it probably 12 times. And he was an actor who didn't care all that much about acting. Mm -hmm. He loved sailing and he loved to write about it. And his writing was so rich and so, wow. uh, it touched me so much, both in terms of how he approached the world, mm -hmm. uh, his, his outlook on what was important in life, what wasn't important in life, um, that I decided I was gonna do what he had done, which is buy a schooner and sail around the world writing. I, I never pulled off the boat part, but. <laughs> you did the writing part pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of shocked me, but. Um, okay, so, so let's fast forward a little. So, so you wanna be a writer, you enlist in the Marines, mm -hmm. uh, you do that. Mm -hmm. You come out, where are you? What are you doing? You going to school? Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going back to college. I'd had uh, a partial year before I went in the Marines, uh -huh. and then. What are you studying in college? At that point, nothing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I get up, uh, in, in high school, late high school, I developed a real fascination with film history. Uh, it's, Jim is a historian. That was one of your credits that I left off when I was describing you. Well, I, I, at first I just wanted, I wanted to watch every movie John Wayne was in. And then I started <laughs> seeing these other guys in the movies. And I said, this guy's kind of cool too. I'm going to watch everything he's in. And pretty soon I've got a list of 20 people that I'm watching everything they're in. And, which means I'm watching everything. <laughs> and, and the more, and then I started going who, to the library. Who were your heroes besides John Wayne in those days? Gary Cooper. Mm -hmm. Bogart, mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence Olivier a little later, um, um, you know, it was, yeah, yeah. it was... The, the big guys, yeah, the, the big, big boys, guys. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but a lot of character actors I liked mm -hmm. too, and uh, uh, I, I started going to the library and getting books about movies. In the old days, they had these places called libraries. Yeah. It was a building, it, it had doors and books. And and yeah, we couldn't just go on one of these and find everything we yeah. wanted to know. Yeah. No. So by the time I got out of the Marines uh, and got back to Vietnam, I was, I decided that I wanted to be a film historian for a living. Uh, is there, were there such things? I guess there are. Yes, but they write books. They write books. And they I mean, sure. I I was reading these books, and right. I thought I want to write. I want to write some of these. Okay. And uh, but this was the early seventies. Mm -hmm. There were very few courses in film history in colleges mm -hmm. anywhere except New York and Los Angeles. Okay. And I wasn't there. I was in by this time. I was in Oklahoma. And Boy, now that's the cultural. Well, yeah. it wasn't that big a cultural jump from Texas, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but a bit of a jump from New York, yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't been to New York yet, so I didn't have... Uh, I didn't know what a bagel was until I was 27, so... Uh, uh, the In Oklahoma, I, I, I thought, well, I, I, I'm not going to find a film history course. So, what's close? Well, theater's kind of close. Ah, here we go. So I signed up for theater classes. So it was kind of an accident. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I had tossed around the idea of maybe trying out for a play in college or even uh, at a local theater mm -hmm. in town. I had the idea crept into my head. Mm -hmm. I, had a, I had a buddy in the Marines who had done a lot of high school plays and he talked a lot about how much fun it was. Mm. And so I thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll give that a whirl, but not as a living. Right. It wasn't, I didn't decide to do it as a living until a few moments before I said my first line in my first play in college. And uh, I had the first line in the play. It was the Miracle Worker. And the, the, the curtain went up. It was black. The lights came up. And before I said my first line. Which was? She'll live. <laughs> I said, oh. This is what I'm doing the rest of my life. You just gave me goosebumps because I can remember that moment for yeah. myself in that. For, yeah, and yes, that it's feeling a, is okay. Yeah. Oh, I probably haven't even hit the good part yet. Yeah, and I'm doing this the rest of my life. Yeah. So, wow. Okay, so, so now, okay, so how did that start to take shape for you? Um, once you made that decision, I did a lot of plays in college. Mm -hmm. um, I actually did a professional play while I was in college. Really? And, well, in uh, a theater company? In Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. And uh, um, I... Uh, what was that? What was your first professional play? It was uh, Rain uh, from the Somerset Mom uh, uh, story. And... Uh, was it an equity house? Did you get a... No, it wasn't an equity Okay. So I mean, no, it wasn't an equity company. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you got paid. But they paid me. You got paid, yes. They paid mm -hmm. me. So that's the date, 1972, from which I date my professional career. Although it's had a couple of pauses <laughs> here and there. Not too many. I've seen that IMD. There aren't a whole lot of pausing. Yeah. Um, a lot of pausing, oh, pausing going on in yeah. your career. So, okay, so you, did, so you went through college. I, I started writing plays in college. Okay. And... Um, uh, and they were, you know, for college plays, they were fairly well received. Did you write them as a vehicle for yourself, or? Uh, no, I wrote stuff that interested me, and. Uh, um, you mean you're not a narcissist, Jim? Sure, I am. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just have misguided, <laughs> misdirected. I, uh, no, I. So, what was your first play about? Well, the very first one was one a friend a friend wanted to direct a play based on an O. Henry short story, and he was certain that the play existed, but he couldn't find it anywhere. And then he said, well, you, you know how to write stuff. I don't know how he knew that. I hadn't written anything. Uh, but he said, why don't, why don't you write this play? So the very first thing I ever wrote as a play was an adaptation of O. Henry's um, the cop and the anthem, which nobody ever did, but. So now, okay, so did you study form? Did you study? Only. Playwriting? Uh, only, only on my own. Okay. I, the, there were no playwriting courses where I was going to school. Okay. Uh, there was a good theater department at the school I ended up at, mm -hmm. uh, um, which is now the University of Central Oklahoma. It wasn't, it was called something else then, but. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a good theater department, but they didn't have a 
at the time they didn't have a playwriting uh, course. But I read a lot of playwriting books. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I had an experience while I was in college that cried out to be turned into a play. Ah. And, um, Which was? That was the play you mentioned earlier, Vertigo. Mm -hmm. um, that was, uh, I had had this job working for a paraplegic woman as a helper in her wild household. And um, even, even though when I was doing the job, I had never written a play, I remember thinking, ooh, this, this needs to be a play. <laughs> and, um, and jumping ahead a little, eventually that was the play that got everything else started for me. So. Okay, let's talk about how that happened. And I just saw that a, a revival of that play uh, just, I don't know. Two couple, years ago. Yeah, two years ago mm -hmm. uh, with an original cast member who was now in a different role. Right. Yeah, yeah. which was so interesting. 30 years later. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so how did that how did that start everything happening? Well, I had um, before you get to how everything yeah. started happening. So okay, so you're in college, you're you're being in plays, you're writing plays. What happens after college? I went back to Dallas mm -hmm. um, and did odd jobs, and I did a lot of theater. Mm -hmm. And I worked for the Dallas Shakespeare Festival for several seasons. Mm -hmm. Met a lot of New York theater people mm -hmm. who were acting or directing those plays. Did you have a plan B? No, 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 I made sure not to. You, there was no, there's, because I believe in this, people that make it, there's no plan B. I, well, the fact is when I started college and got into theater, I thought, okay, I better have something to back myself up here. Mm -hmm. So uh, when the time comes, I'll start taking education classes so I can teach theater. Mm -hmm. And seriously, I got called into the counselor's office at the beginning of my senior year of college, and she said, so what is it you're planning to do? And <laughs> I said, well, you know, I want to do this theater stuff, but, you know, or teach. And she said, you've been in college four years, you haven't taken any education classes, you can't teach. And I went, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I really, I forgot to take education course. That is too funny. But since then, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the old joke. I, I, I made sure I didn't know how to do anything else. <laughs> but the truth is, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. yes, and sir. the guys who were, who I competed against in college theater, the guys who were the real stars, got the leads in almost everything, Good actors could have had great careers. Didn't none of them. Um, they all found one reason or another to fall back on something else. Now I don't. I'm not saying, oh, what losers. I'm saying yeah. a lot of people have different. You know, sometimes you've got, for example, uh, I, I can think of one who had a had a fairly large family pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Once you get a fairly large family. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to Broadway. You're not. Well, you could go to Broadway, but you're not going to do it easy. Yeah. No. And uh, your wife's not going to be happy if you do. <laughs> so I. Um, uh, well, Broadway's a bad example because that's. Pinnacle. Yeah. I, but I mean, yeah, but just to work your way yeah. to it. And and uh, uh, I'll say that he's he's still working as an actor, but. Oh. Uh, oh, that's nice. But only because. Uh, he found a situation where he could make a living here right. and act. Right, right. But uh, 
the idea of doing nothing but acting for a living is a really tough idea. So now, when you're doing these polished plays, you're not the lead. You're 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 Rarely. doing you're doing character. You're doing yeah. You're doing you know, the best friend. This the I'm other. I'm doing guy. the best friend. I'm doing. You know, we did a lot of Shakespeare. There were mm -hmm. a lot of parts. Uh, I I campaigned for my mm -hmm. theater department to do uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This is about a year before I the movie. I did college also. I wanted to play McMurphy more than anything in the world. They I convinced them to do the play, and then they didn't cast me as McMurphy. Which but part I was, did you have? I played Billy Bibbit. Okay. Um, I was Candy Star. Of course you were. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to be Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, now, now, still, now, 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 now I, now I, oh, I love you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was, I, you know, McMurphy's uh, worked as a lumberjack, and I was, I, I could totally have seen you in that bar. I was 6'1", 130 pounds. <laughs> I looked like a, a coffee stirrer. <laughs> so, you know, that, that cost yeah. me a lot. I didn't get plumper until <laughs> I started working regular and that was a long time later okay so so so, so you get out of college uh, you are doing odd jobs when do you have your first when does how does the, the play lead to your first break well I was doing the Dallas Shakespeare Festival uh, and I I gave a play I had written to a different play I had written to uh, one of the actors there, a New York actor, who uh, 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 had expressed some interest, mm -hmm. he read it, he handed it off to uh, an actress they had brought in uh, to play opposite him. Mm -hmm. She read it and took it to John Jory at Actors Theatre of Louisville, mm -hmm. who shocked me one day by calling me up and saying they wanted to do it. Um, they didn't end up doing it, but they commissioned two or three plays. They commissioned three plays from me, wow. uh, which were done there in Louisville in the early '80s. Uh, then, and that got me a big literary agent in New York, which got me nothing. Really? Uh, <laughs> but he had two clients: me and Tennessee Williams. I, Are you kidding me? No, the honor was good, but I never got to work out. But uh, wow! And then after I went, I was in New York for three years, mm -hmm. just you know, acting. And uh, so, what kind of stuff are you doing when you're in New York? Oh, mainly stock. I didn't do work. I, I never worked in New York. Okay. I got jobs in New York and went on the road. I see. So um, I did. I did Shakespeare in West Virginia and Ohio, and uh, uh, you know, I did the Joan of Arc story in New Hampshire, and I, you know, right, all over. Uh, dinner theater, um, uh, you know, some of the goodest plays ever written. Uh, the um, uh, and in the middle of all of this, I had decided to write this book on George Reeves because my film history life hadn't died. I wrote a book on John Garfield while I was in college. Yes, which is published. Uh, yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so I was researching this book on George Reeves, and I decided. So what sparked what sparked that? I mean, aside from the fact that we're Superman fans, yeah. I'm a, I'm well, assuming that's where it starts. 
No. Well, I mean, that's where the appeal was okay. for me. I was, all of this time in college and, and in the years after, uh, for several years after college, I was writing for a film magazine in New York, Films and Review, the National Board of Review magazine. And... You see what an accomplished guy? You thought he was just like on your little television set. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, my editor... Mm -hmm. Uh, asked me if I'd be interested in doing an article on Reeves. Okay. And I had been a big fan when I was a kid. And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to dig into that story. I started digging into it and it just how long have you been? How long have you been digging on that, Jim? This is 2018. 40 years. He's still writing the book. And you're still actively working mm -hmm. on it, correct? Yeah. I, You know, I yeah. can't even imagine what this is going to be when it comes out. This is it's, just... I'm waiting until everybody who knows who he was is dead. <laughs> so nobody can say you were wrong. So, all right, I'm curious because, as you know, my book took me 13 years mm -hmm. to finally publish, you know, working, stopping. What is it about this? Because you, mm -hmm. you have, it's some people can't get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. But you can get to the finish line. And you've gotten to the finish line many times. What is it about that book mm -hmm. that is... What is it that's, that you can't close the door? Well, in the middle of working on it, I suddenly found myself with an acting career. That's a, yeah, but you've done things since then. Yeah, but I mean, it... You wrote a book since then. Yeah, but that book was such a different yes. kind of... It had such a different cause, had such a different... Life's That Way is, is um, autobiographical. Is, yeah. Is, yeah. Um, it was... Uh, lots of things got in the way. You've been and a busy guy. That's really it. You've been a busy guy. I'm also... Sometimes I'm lazy. You're not lazy. Sometimes, well... I mean, everybody needs yeah. downtime. Yeah. You're not a lazy person. But I... Um, uh, you know, I hit a point, and it was the point at which the play Verdigris was done in L.A. for mm -hmm. the first time, mm -hmm. which is where 1985, the year everything in my life changed. Uh, did we get? Did we talk about that? How that happened? So, so no. you okay? So, so you did the play, and how did everything change? Bouncing off that. Um, well, where, where, how'd you get your first TV role? Well. My first one, I had a friend who was an actress on Days of Our Lives, Young and the Restless. One of those. Yeah. Young and the Restless. And she put in a word with the casting director, and they gave me a part as a cop. And, you know, that was... So now I had done, I had done. I had done some... Uh, I had done some extra work when I was in Dallas. So I, okay. had, I had been on a set. Okay. Four, five, six times. How'd you get your SAC card? Uh, said said words on this Sunday. Oh, are they? Yeah, okay. I'm voting uh, tomorrow. Actually, I didn't pay my dues in time. I can't. Pay. <laughs> um, I it was weird. I was living in Dallas at the time, and the Screen Actors Guild and after the Television and Radio right. Union shared an office, but they also shared some kind of jurisdictional thing 
probably because Texas is a right-to-work state. I'm, I'm not sure what it was. Because it wasn't that, yeah. They but in Dallas, if you joined one, you were in Oh, nice. Yeah. And I got I got hired to do a radio commercial, mm -hmm. which got me into after. Right. But because I was in Dallas, it also got me into say. Nice. Okay, so were there any... Did your so you got that first soap opera gig? Mm -hmm. Did did, was did a the day. okay? Was so did the floodgates open after that? Like wh okay, so when did it start? How did you start to build up some momentum to become um, a working actor? Well, uh, that year, mm -hmm. 1985, my play was done. Mm -hmm. I got signed by a very big agent, uh, literary agent, okay, uh, who started. Sending my stuff Not the out. Tennessee Williams person. No, no, no. Okay. That's a new agency. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, uh, I can have stories here to keep us here till Friday. Okay. But, uh, oh, well, um, well, give us one. Give us, a good, give us a good story. Well, I was just going to say, I, I was with this huge agency in New York. Okay. The, one that had, the one that had signed me, the Tennessee Williams guy. Okay. Then I went out to L.A. to work on the Reeves book. And while I was out there, I asked him to connect me with his, their office out here, mm -hmm. all equally huge, uh -huh. uh, uh, one of the big three. Mm -hmm. And uh, their guys were like, what? <laughs> Who are you? Uh, and I literally got a letter from one of them saying, look, I don't have time to start your career. Uh, so I, then I didn't have one. And because, uh, they weren't interested. Mm -hmm. My play was done in LA very successfully in 85. Mm -hmm. Another agent from an, one of the other big, big three mm -hmm. uh, saw it, loved it, signed me, and started getting me writing work. And so I, st I started writing television. Uh, oh, that's right. I was writing, I wrote several episodes of the revival, the Twilight 80, 80s revival of the Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, the Alfred Hitchcock, show. I knew, oh, yes. And, uh, and because I was a Vietnam vet, I had, uh, the, the door was opening right then for Vietnam projects, and I got called in on a lot of those. So I wrote for uh, a CBS show called Tour of Duty, which was about Vietnam. I wrote for Vietnam War Story for HBO. So I was doing all right writing. So you are living your first real dream and you are a working yeah. writer, a, a successful working writer. Okay, this, I forgot this part of the story. Until 1988 when the writer's strike happened and- You were doing it that whole time? For three years, something I like thought you were talking about the 80s. You started in 85, 85, 86, 88, 78. You said 98. Oh. Okay. 88. Thank you. That's a big difference. The 88 okay. writer's strike. You say you were, you were an actor no, before no, no, 1998? No. Okay. No, 88, the writer's strike happened. Mm -hmm. The freelance market for television writers fundamentally changed. And I never made another nickel writing for television. Wow. <clears throat> Mainly because I wanted to be a freelance writer. Because mm -hmm. I also wanted to act. Now, were you doing any acting? During, a little bit. A little there. bit. Yeah. But, but nothing... You Nothing hadn't great. done the, a part. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then in 88, while that writer's strike was on, mm -hmm. a chance meeting catapulted me into a starring role with Bruce Willis How in a Norman Jewison movie. What, what was the chance meeting? 
I was shooting the breeze with my literary agent mm -hmm. because that's all we could do. Everybody was on strike. You couldn't write. You couldn't take assignments. You couldn't. You could write spec scripts, but right. it left everybody with a lot of time sitting around doing nothing. And I was just shooting the breeze with my agent in his office. I decided to go home. He walked me to the door. We got into the lobby and one of the theatrical talent agents walked by and he said, oh, let me introduce you to Eileen. Eileen turned around, said hi, stared at me for a second and said, are you an actor? And I said, yeah. And she said, are you represented? And I said, no. And she said, well, you might be right for this movie, Norman Jewison's casting. Would you mind if I submitted you for it? And I said, no, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> and the next day I met Norman Jewison and read for this movie called In Country. I, I want to point out that <clears throat> he got picked this way not to play like a little... He's like the second guy in I'm this... Not quite that but, big, but, but, but yeah. Main title billing. Yeah. It was a shocker. From from playing just obscure little nothing yeah, parts. Yeah, you know, I, I had done a, like an FBI agent with two lines or something like that. You know? Wow. And that is a Hollywood story. Yeah, because if I'd walked through that door thirty seconds earlier or later, wow. you'd be talking to George Clooney right now. I would. <laughs> Damn it! No, <laughs> I'm so happy to be where I am. So you're the second one to bring up George Clooney today, but. Uh, do you think, I mean, it, how do we know what, 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 but do you think that was your moment and that your life might have taken a different turn had that moment not happened? Absolutely. Everything changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. Um, I was shocked to find out that even though I got the job and the agents were shocked. I mean, shocked. <laughs> well, okay, were you a good actor at that point? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, you, I had, you had done nearly a hundred plays by you had shops, so yes. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know how good I was on camera because I hadn't had enough experience. Did you not study good. camera acting? You didn't really do no. that then. No. no, yeah. I just did. I did every play I do. Right, right. And uh, so I'd done tons of theater, mm -hmm. and uh, but there was I didn't know if I would be good on camera. Um, how was that first? How was that first real, and with Norman Jewison, oh my I know. God. I know. So, so what was, what was, so you're a new film actor. Mm -hmm. Did it show, were you green, did he have to have, or did you just know, innately know I, what to I do? I was green in some way. No, you have to remember, since I was 15, I've been reading mm -hmm. film history. I've been reading actress biographies. Okay. It's when people ask me now for advice when you know young actors want to know how to get started. That one of the things I say is read every actor and director biography you can get hold of, so you don't make the mistakes they made. Wow. Okay, so that's that's takeaway number one. I really <laughs> no because I was going to start in the old days when you did the podcast. We used to do the takeaway behind your back after mm -hmm. you left and call from what you said, but now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have you talk. Yeah. So as we come to them, please share them. Okay. So that's a great yeah. one right there. That was, I I didn't plan it that way. I just liked reading actors' biography. Can you think of anything that you picked up from somebody's biography that was like a telltale, like, don't do this, that well, like, that informed you? I remember, I remember reading 
how John Wayne was always the first actor on the set every day, how he knew his lines and everybody else's, and how, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, you know, it's not always about the acting. It's also about uh, the being the guy that everybody wants to have there. You know, we had this conversation. I brought this up to, to Doug Herzog was our guest last mm -hmm. week, and Doug was the president of of, um, of Viacom and Fox and stuff. And so I asked him that question specifically, like if you have a choice between hiring the most talented person in the mm -hmm. room, who's also smart and everything, if you have a choice between two guys, I, my belief is that you're going to pick the person that's the easiest to deal with, that mm -hmm. has the best prep, that that has the best work ethic and They're all gonna that They're going to go stuff. for the guy who can do the part the best. But if they are on the fence about who that is, right. they're going to go with the guy that they know is going to be there for them. Mm -hmm. in whatever. When uh, I've got two rules of acting, neither of which have anything to do with acting. Okay, what are they? That this Never, is... ever, ever hold up production like and never ever make anybody sorry you got hired oh that's good that's good because that's everything that's yeah, behavior because talent is a fairly rare commodity but talent with complete amiable responsible, respectful support for the production is a lot rarer. It is, isn't it? I mean, I've been blessed with working almost exclusively with great people who get that, who are even at the top of their game, of the game, are amiable, respectful, responsible, and uh, and welcoming uh, menches, and can you can you give us an example of that? Can you think of a story of somebody really huge that you have worked with that's had exemplary? Um, well, uh, might have to m moderate or qualify the word huge, but mm -hmm. in the late '89 or so, mm -hmm. I did a TV episode of a show called Paradise, mm -hmm. which starred um, uh, a fellow named Lee Horsley. Now Lee Horsley had, he was, you know, Tom Selleck type. They did, uh, mm -hmm. he, had a, he had previously had a show like, uh, uh, Magnum. Like Magnum, I can't remember the name of Lee's okay. show, but uh -huh. at any rate, he was 89, he was a big star. Mm -hmm. He had a, the lead in the CBS series, I was a guest star on the show. I came onto the set for wardrobe fitting. They took us down to where the director was so the director could approve our wardrobe. Mm -hmm. So we're standing here while they're shooting a scene waiting for him to have time to come over. Mm -hmm. Now about, I don't know, 50 yards away, there's a mattress on the ground. We're out, in, out on a location at a mm -hmm. ranch. There's a mattress on the ground and Lee Horsley is over there lying on that mat mattress because he's between scenes. Mm -hmm. Where's uh, my fellow guest stars are standing here, and I look over and I see Lee Horsley get up off that mattress, walk the 50 yards over, 
come up and say, hey guys, I'm Lee Horsley, welcome to the show, glad you're here. And uh, got our names and everything. He said, said you know, uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun on this one, uh, really happy you're here. And then he walked back 50 yards and lay back down on the mattress. And I said, okay, that's a guy who knows he's not the only one here. I really like that. It's one of my favorite stories. I really like that. And do you, do, have you had an experience without mentioning a name of the opposite behavior? Where you were dealing with a prima donna and where it made the set unpleasant? Um, once or twice. Mm -hmm. An actor I admire immensely. Mm -hmm. I, I, I won't say his name here, but I've been fairly vocal about it okay. in my life. So if you search my Facebook page, you'll probably find something. But, um, yeah, uh, uh, um, pretty big star, mm -hmm. still is, mm -hmm. um, and uh, wasn't mean or anything, but uh, kind of went out of his way to not be pleasant. Mm. And uh, and it was it was more disconcerting. When out way, of his way, because, how, how so? Can you give well, me an example? I worked with him for five weeks. Okay. Every morning I said good morning. Every night I said good night. And uh, not once in five weeks did he ever answer. Are you kidding me? Uh, he spoke five words to me in the entire five weeks. Um, uh, I, when I introduced myself, I said, uh, hi, I'm Jim Beaver, I'm playing Detective Clarkson on this thing, and oh, I just, <laughs> uh, Look it up, uh, <laughs> Louise, Google! <laughs> and, uh, and he said the two words of his name, and that was the first two words he said to me, and he turned and walked away. He's, he said his name and walked away. Okay. And then at another point, we were shooting a scene where I take his gun away from him. Mm -hmm. Some cops drag him away, mm -hmm. quite a way out while he's shouting uh, at everybody mm -hmm. as he's being dragged out. Yeah. Cut. I would walk over to him, hand him the gun back. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can do another take. Yeah. Uh -huh. And never said a word, not a single word, just... No thank you, no... Really. No. Uh, after about five times of me walking to the end of the hall to hand him his gun, I didn't. I just set it on a table and uh, eventually he walked over to me and said the other three words. He said to me in five weeks, where's the gun? And I said, so, he wasn't mean. Mm -hmm. He wasn't nice. Mm -hmm. So now, was this his show? Was it his show? He was... He was the star of the show? One of the he stars was of the one show? of the stars, yeah. Okay, so, did the set reflect his I, attitude in any way? I'll tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Almost all my scenes were without him. Mm. 
this one big scene we had, which mm -hmm. took a very long time to shoot, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't have any dialogue in it. It has occurred to me that he didn't realize didn't I know. was a principal on I the film. Got, I got That you. he may have thought I was an extra. I got you. And, and extras, of course, are beneath notice. Except you know what? That the, the actor that's going to feel that way, mm -hmm. whether he thinks you're an extra or a principal, mm -hmm. it's the same mindset. Well, yeah. it's, you know, and it, it's, it's the same deal. I was working with a very lovely man on that show, another actor mm -hmm. who was just a delight. Mm. And, uh, uh, and I mentioned, wow, this, is, this <laughs> guy is... He's going out of his way mm -hmm. to not be remotely cordial mm -hmm. or human. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's such a disappointment because I've admired him for so long. Mm. And this guy said, well, one of his longtime colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, who is an even bigger star, disappointed this guy in exactly the same way. Wow. And uh, that, uh, it's like, you know, you walk in there and you want to be, you know, I'm not, I don't walk onto a set expecting the star leads to uh, invite me over <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, for dinner the first night we work together or even the last night. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't bother people. Mm -hmm. I may, if there's a moment, I may say, hey, I saw such and such that you were in, and man, that blew me away. That mm -hmm. was wonderful. Mm -hmm. But I don't push it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I don't want to interfere. I, I let them set the tone for things. Right, right. Uh, I didn't have any trouble talking with Lee Horsley because he set the tone right. the minute I met him. Right. Um, Tom Hanks was like that. I was going to say, any other... Tom so, Hanks is just, you know, he's one, Tom he Hanks is one of the, the, I've got three or four favorite. Who are they besides Tom? Tom Hanks, Mark Harmon, mm -hmm. uh, Lee Horsley, who I mentioned, uh -huh. uh, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, um, I'm just, these are guys okay, who so are what so... Okay, so what happened when you met Tom Hanks since he's the most known of the yeah. names that you mentioned? We did um, Turner and Hooch together. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of scenes mm -hmm. with him. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in the earlier yeah. days of his career. Too. Yeah. Uh -huh. We were shooting, he and I were shooting together the day he was nominated for an Oscar for Big. Oh. And I, I kind of, uh, there were, there were people slightly lower on the food chain mm -hmm. on that movie who were not who were practicing to be the guy on the other oh, one. Oh, yeah. Um, and I won't say their names either, but... So I was already a little... I Gun only shy. have a couple of scenes here, uh, and this is this guy just got nominated for an Oscar. I'm not... I've seen what these guys are like. I'm gonna be careful, but I found myself sitting next to him and I said, Congratulations on the Oscar nomination. It, it was a really great performance, and I'm really happy for you. And he said, oh, Jim, thank you. Oh. That is so kind of you to say. Oh. I was walking around the set on that movie, mm -hmm. and 
we were at a location at a fish packing plant in San Pedro, mm -hmm. and uh, and a woman, I'm just walking around because I got nothing to do for an hour or two, and a woman walks up to me and says, would you like a massage? I said, what? I don't even know who she is because there's civilians around. Right. Part of this fish packing plant is still functioning. Right, right. And I don't know, I said, what? It's the docks in San Pedro. It could be anything. And uh, uh, I said, what What do you mean? She said, would you like a massage? And I said, what's the deal? She says, oh, uh, I work for Tom. I knew that's where you were going. Tom, I love this story. Tom, Tom, Tom has me on all his sets to give people massages. I love this story. I love Tom Hanks. I just saw the post yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is just... I, I, it, there's actually a line in my book of, of any hero that I can meet. I am guaranteed. I I am certain that he would not disappoint at any time. Uh, I only worked with him for about four days, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he's everything he appears to be. I just love that. As far as I can tell, mm -hmm. I've never seen. Have you seen him since? I haven't. No, I haven't. Not in person. No, mm -hmm. uh, I haven't run into him since. But. I had similar experiences working with Mark Harmon. Uh, we did a series together, so I worked with him a lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, and then I did Crimson Peak with Tom Hiddleston. And that's not to say there aren't other people who are right, contenders course. to the. Of course. I mean, of course. I, who are contenders for this. Right. But I kind of automatically think of those three or four when I think about the guys who have just who didn't have to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now. You know, I, I absolutely adore Ed Asner, who I worked with for two seasons on Thunder Alley. We were just with Ed. Yeah. Hey, I love Ed. But that's and he a, loves you. Well, he has so he, he, he has yeah. so much he has so much affection for We him. had but I almost don't count that because we had a long term working relationship. Hmm. What I'm getting, what I've been trying to describe here is people that you work yeah, with yeah. for a day or two mm -hmm. who don't have to be nice to so you. So it's their true character that It's you're their getting. true character. Yeah, Nick yeah. Nolte was like that. Nick Nolte was so sweet to me. I had Isn't one day in oh. the movie with him. Uh -huh. And he invited me to have breakfast with him. We talked theater. He was supportive when uh, the director got on my case. Uh, he, and he didn't have to be... I. The next day, I was probably forgotten because it was just a small little thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's colored. I don't. I, I like to think I would have been as I am anyway. But it has certainly colored my view of what the responsibility of the person who has the gig, the gig, the name value. Okay, so let's talk about that because you've had a big career of name value. I mean, so you've had major, major roles on 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 on. Stop looking at me well, like I mean, that. Have I, I did I ever tell you what I decided if I ever write an autobiography, what the title's going to be? No. How do they know who I am? <laughs> I have spent my entire career. Walking into rooms where I was the only person I never heard of. <laughs> I don't. I get it, but I don't get it. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, um, but you know you've worked a lot. I know. And I've you know you've a lot. done a lot of quality work, and you know you have been a part of franchises that 
or huge yeah. Yeah. supernatural justify. I mean, people go insane when your name comes up for these things. It's true. So the first one I'm thinking you're, I'm thinking into mainstream mm -hmm. America, Deadwood was your, is yeah. your entourage to that. Deadwood was the next game changer. Okay, so when that <laughs> game changed, how did that change your life? Well, back even in college, yeah. When I did, when I did that first play, I got paid for. Mm -hmm. I I said to myself, I love this so much. There's no civilian job I won't quit in order to act. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes you know you have to bring some rationality to those decisions, but it was always in my head. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Rest of my life, I don't care if I starve to death. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm doing. Um, 2002, I had a one-year-old baby, mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting a lot of work. And what I was getting, that was right around the time being a character actor, even a working character actor, stopped being a guarantee of a good living. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, into the 70s, you could work eight, seven, six gigs a year and do all right. Mm -hmm. Just as a guest star. Right. Doing The Fugitive or Bonanza or mm -hmm. whatever. And then in the 80s and 90s, that started changing. And because most of the acting money went to the big stars. Mm -hmm. And a lot, lot less increasingly really? now uh -huh. went to the supporting cast. Uh -huh. Well, by 2002, I couldn't feed my kid. Or my wife. Now she was she was working as a casting director uh -huh. and an actress, and between the two, she was doing all right. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't enough. We were, you know, getting upside down in our mortgage, and 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 for the first time in my life, I thought I may have to find something else to do. I can't. You know, it's one thing to spend your entire life sleeping on friends' sofas. It's a completely other thing to ask your wife and kid to. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, I, I don't know if I can support us. Uh -huh. and, uh, and then I got uh, an audition for a movie. And oh my God, it was a great part. I, I remember wanting it so bad, partly for the money, mm -hmm. but partly because it was a great part. Mm -hmm. And I wanted it so bad and I didn't get it. And I was devastated. Can you and tell us what it was? I don't even remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wanted it so bad. <laughs> that's that's, how that's kind of the point of yeah, the story. Right. Because I didn't get it. I was very down. I didn't know how to pull money together to live on. Mm -hmm. And then I got Deadwood. If I had gotten the movie, mm. which I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. This is this has come up this week at least five times. Rejection is God's protection every single time. When something doesn't happen, it's because there's something better. There are three answers to every question. Yes, not right now, something better. There's gonna be something better. I, I love this. I love as, this. As as I quote my sister Denise many times in, in my book and just in life, <coughs> uh 
she she always says, look for the gift. There's always a gift. Always. And and I found I found that gift in the worst tragedies of my life. Mm -hmm. And I certainly found it in not getting that particular movie. Hell yeah. Because uh, that movie, I mean that TV series, Deadwood, not only did I end up being on what would have been my favorite TV show ever, <laughs> anyway. If I'd never been on it, right. it'd be my favorite show in history. Right. But I got to be on it. Yeah. Not only that, but I got to play a part that I completely understood, mm -hmm. I felt completely at home with. Which makes um, total sense for the success you've had with it. And then to find out that the people who are, are opinion shapers mm -hmm. loved it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that for once in my life, I could walk into an audition room and nobody needed to have it explained to them who, who I was. Are. Yeah. <laughs> now, they didn't always know my name. Right. But they were right. like, whoa, 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 Ellsworth. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, they knew your character's name. That's more important. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And uh, and then from that, mm -hmm. three years on that show, uh, the the proudest experience of my career, uh, it everything changed. Mm -hmm. It still hasn't changed as much as I sort of hoped it would. I get offered a lot of work without auditioning for it. Nice. That had never happened before. Okay, right. Um, I. So what are you still hoping for? I get offered a lot of little independent movies that don't have their financing in place. Yeah. Now, I just, you know, a couple of years ago, I did Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak, which was an offer. He, he knew me from Deadwood. Love that. He just called up and said, you want to do my movie? And I said, yes. And it was a huge movie and it was a great paycheck and it was a great part but that sort of thing hasn't repeated a mm -hmm. lot mm -hmm. but I I probably half to 70% of my work these days is just somebody Simple. calls up and says come do this how did Breaking Bad happen? I think it was the same thing mm -hmm. I, I mean, ha I don't remember auditioning for it. You're you're a part of a show. You have a piece on that show that is arguably the best show that's ever been on television. Ever. I mean, I know your love for Deadwood, and yeah. I get it completely. Well, I've always said, uh, you know, some people say Deadwood, The Sopranos, The Wire, Breaking Bad. Right. They're all the, in that mix. I'm in the argument. Yes, yes you're in the argument. More that's than, the only you're thing. You're in the argument comes. more than once. Hey, that's kind of cool. That's really yeah. cool. You're in the argument a couple of times on that. that. Yeah, and that yeah. little and that little tiny list. You're there yeah. more than once. Now I've got you know I've only got two scenes on Breaking Bad oh, in 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 two seasons, and then two more, mm -hmm. two or three more, playing the same guy on Better Call Saul, which is fantastic. But I just met Bob Odenkirk recently. Yeah, it's. That's the kind of stuff everybody wants to do. And it's not only that everybody wants to do it, but everybody remembers you from it. It's like now I'm sure when people see, oh, you know, yeah. it's like a character can only show up for a couple of times, but people who There's are... There's an interesting, an interesting sort of weirdness about 
Hollywood in terms of the industry. Mm -hmm. Deadwood, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Dexter, uh, Oh, and Justified. you brought on, on Dexter. Yeah. A couple of, uh, you just, in a couple of episodes, episode. it was just, but the father, yeah. you were like so, it's, I mean, it's completely memorable. Completely memorable. You do that kind of show, mm -hmm. and a lot of people in Hollywood know about it. You get in seats in restaurants? No. I, if I get recognized in, in L.A. It, well, now it's from Justifying Supernatural. It did, well, it's well, not Supernatural. That's what I was getting at. Oh, okay. I go into a room mm -hmm. now to meet with producers or to audition or to just talk, and they want to talk about Deadwood. They want to talk about Breaking Bad. They want to talk about Justified. And they say, what are you doing now? I say, well, I'm still working on Supernatural. What's that? But it has a huge... And I go, I go, it's, it's on the CW. It's, and they say, oh, is that a new show? I said, no, it's in the season 13. And they go, what? How do I not know about this show? You're not the audience. Yeah. Now, I can go, I, I occasionally so get recognized in L.A., okay. but not for Supernatural. If I go to Omaha. Oh, okay. If I go to Sioux City. If I go to Chicago or, or uh, 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 Montgomery, Alabama, 99% mm -hmm. of the comment is for Supernatural. So, like, when on your, your Jim has one of the biggest Twitter followings of like, you have like a million followers. Are those mostly Supernatural? What, 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 what is the shakedown on your Twitter? Well, I think it's, I think it's, I've never figured it, I don't know how I would figure it out, but I would say it's probably. 90% supernatural fans. That's what fans. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hardcore. But then every once in a while I say something to, as if it's all supernatural fans, and somebody will chime in and say, no, I'm here because of Deadwood. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, a lot of Justified fans do, a lot yeah, of Justified yeah, fans. Yeah. Okay, so here we are, and it's your, your the George Reeves book. Like, how often do, would you say you sit down and you do a little work on it? Mm-hmm. I would like to every day, but it I don't I don't pull it off every week. So, do you think it's something that we can hope to read in the? It depends. I've got a sixteen-year-old daughter. Yeah, you do. And, and you have a beautiful girlfriend. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, life aside from work. It's it's you know I, I I was I was speaking at a an event uh, a couple of years ago celebrating what was at the time George Reeves' hundredth birthday mm -hmm. and uh, and I, I without any any uh, hubris or trying to or braggadocio mm -hmm. I was braggadocio that's my word for the day <laughs> read it on a Kierkegaard bubblegum card uh, <laughs> there's a Kierkegaard bubblegum card okay I uh, I was speaking of this event and I, and I was trying to explain why it had been so long mm -hmm that I had been working on this without completing it. And, and I, I said, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and I realized that uh, I've, I've done a lot more film and television than he ever did. <laughs> Way more. Now, now yeah. I'm a lot older than he ever got, mm -hmm. uh, which is... Was he like 39? He was 45 when he died. So there's that. Mm -hmm. but, 
my point isn't, oh, look at me, I did a lot more. Mm -hmm. My point is it drains your time mm -hmm. and your energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, when you come off a set where you have a part of any substance, mm -hmm. all you want to do is fall on the floor and hope nobody wakes you up for a month. <laughs> and, uh, and so it hasn't been nearly as easy as I thought mm -hmm. to write while I'm working. Mm -hmm. And thanks to whatever is powering this, I'm working a lot. And that's a wonderful thing. So, so is there anything, uh, we're gonna wrap up with two things. One is, is there anything, I, I think I know the answer to this, this question. Is there anything in front of you that you would love to do? Uh, and I know there are a couple of things in theater that call mm -hmm. you. Um, and is there anything that you can, are there takeaways you can give our, our, our viewers mm -hmm. to, um, you've given some really good insight about being that, about you to be on the set and mm -hmm. the preparation of the reading. Is there anything, uh, the reading, the autobiographies, is there anything else that you can suggest to people who, I, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch the question up. It's not necessarily an acting question. Mm -hmm. My question is more for people that are have a creative passion, mm -hmm. that haven't quite made the money yet, mm -hmm. that are trying to merge creativity and commerce. Is there anything you can... you have any words of wisdom? I saw an interview a while back with... Um, um, yeah, that guy. Uh, mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin ah. uh, and apparently he did a movie or a TV show or something that didn't work out that mm -hmm. didn't do well at the box office or whatever and the interviewer said you know how do you handle these rare failures and Baldwin looked at him and said failure is the norm mm -hmm. it almost always fails to be what you hoped it would be. That can't be what drives you on, trying to avoid failure. Mm -hmm. You've just got to keep doing what you do. You've got to keep powering forward because success shows up every once in a while, almost never when you think it's bound to. And, uh, I mean, when I did that movie, Like, I was just going to ask you, like, when Deadwood started, did you... Did you? I had no idea it was no. going to be anything. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was great. Right. Right. But, but, but great doesn't always translate to mm -hmm. success. Right? Well, I remember the first table read, <laughs> watching these other actors, almost all of whom were new to me. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I knew maybe three actors in the whole cast who they were before I came to work there. Mm -hmm. I'm watching Timothy Oliphant thinking, oh, we're dead. This guy's awful. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking, and Robin Weigert is there reading Calamity Jane, and I'm going, sheet, that, this is horrible. This is the table read. Right, right. And then, well, it's just another kind of example of, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Well, you know, they get on, on camera and we're <laughs> magic. Yeah. And stunning performances mm -hmm. all, all around in that cast. Mm -hmm. And you can't be, it, it, my late wife Cecily, in her casting work, uh, always, and she, she taught classes and auditioned 
uh, technique as well. She was the greatest coach I ever worked with. Uh, she always said, you cannot go into an audition with your objective being to get a job. Your objective has to be saving your sister from a vampire. <laughs> your objection, your objective has to be catching the crooks mm -hmm. or getting away with the loot. Mm -hmm. If it's about the, the stuff that isn't in the story, mm -hmm. then there are a lot easier ways to make money. A lot easier ways to get the jobs. So, and I think that translates to whatever your art is. Mm -hmm. That if you go, that if we approach it to make money to be successful, that's the mm -hmm. surest. If it you're not work. doing it out of love, it has to be and fun. Right. And fun is so important. Oh, yeah. People leave the fun out. Fun is yeah. so big. I've worked with a couple of actors who they're really good, but they don't seem to be having any fun. And I think, well, why do it if it isn't fun? We just had this conversation last week because I saw um, The Darkest Hour and then mm -hmm. Gary Oldman did a, a Q&A and I saw, mm -hmm. that, I saw that that's a movie that you are holding up to be maybe mm -hmm. your favorite movie of the year. I just read your post. And I didn't want to get on there and be the, the voice of dissension, but I loved the film. Mm -hmm. um, Gary kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. He came out afterwards and he did not have one second of fun, did not have one smile, yeah. did not seem to have one moment of pleasure talking about the film, and then when I saw him win the Golden Globe, he was exactly the same way. And yeah. I thought, what the hell is that? So it, for me, it kind of tainted the film for yeah. me. It's, it's not a requirement. There are plenty, of, requirement. There are plenty of miserable actors Well, I, I think in that well. sense, it, you know, go see the movie and then don't, yeah. don't go to the Q&A. Yeah. Although someone like James Franco made his film 50 times better because he was so passionate and fun yeah. and loving yeah. about his film. So The fact is, there are as many different approaches to acting and the acting business as there are actors. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody's got their own path, their own way that works for them or doesn't work for them, but they're stuck in it. Mm -hmm. uh, mine is to be the character as best as I possibly can and to have fun and to make sure everybody I'm working with has fun too. Because otherwise, if the people on the set with me are not having fun, I'm not having as much. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us are quite as good as if we are. And I think that applies to everything. I don't, that's mm -hmm. not just a set, that's any art, any business, anything that we're any, doing. Any endeavor in life, I think, if you're looking for the gift mm -hmm. again and constantly uh, with awareness looking for what's fun, what's good, what's useful, what's meaningful, what's loving, what's happy, mm -hmm. what's thrilling, what's uh, uh, what gives you self-respect, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine in whatever that line of work is. I love it. I think that's the button to our to our show tonight. Um, Jim, thank you so much for doing this. It's always wonderful to talk to you. I talk with you. Always wonderful to talk with you because you always want to talk about me. I, <laughs> I don't. When I see you on the outside world, we talk about other things. Don't we? We do. We don't only talk about you out there. Well, you know, Marlon Brando said an actor is a fellow who, if you ain't talking about him, ain't listening. <laughs> so, in other words, that conversation
conversation we were having, you weren't listening. Okay, I get what? that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, thank you so much, Jim. And thank you, Louise Blank, who's behind there. We got to get you out from behind there. We need, we need a real staff. There's Louise saying hello. And uh, come back. We'll see you next Wednesday. I'll, I believe Lydia Cornell is going to be with us. She's gorgeous. She's talented. She's wonderful. And uh, we'll be talking about the Women's March that... Uh, I know I'll be marching in. I guess Louise will too. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I'm guessing Lydia will too. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.